Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Today we have missionary Justin Brown in town, and we are going to talk about his mission in the Philippines. Welcome back. Hey, welcome, Justin. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. Good to be here. It's good to have you in studio. So um, we've been shooting the breeze for a while. Yep. So time to talk about some things we already talked about. Yeah. Again, for the podcast. Sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, well, we're glad you're here. You're in town. So we decided to get you on the podcast. And so, again, uh, if you're listening to this, just remember that this podcast is always geared towards the people of Cornerstone here in Las Vegas. Uh, if you're an outsider listening in, we're welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, again, take what we say with this is the way we do it. This is the wisdom for us. But follow your pastors and your local teachers there and do it the way that they want you to do it because um, they shepherd your souls. And so, but today, uh, we're going to talk about Justin and uh, where he and his wife, Rebecca, are headed. And uh, kind of cool for us because uh, I wonder what percentage of the church is Filipino, G? I think um, the Filipinos have uh, overtaken every country about at least 20%. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this yeah. is true. Every church, every country, every... Uh, no, uh, 80% of the hospitals, though. Yeah. Oh, this sure. is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighty percent of nurses are Filipino, yeah. but in the church, probably thirty percent Filipino. 20%. I don't know, actually. You know, I I would say um, probably minority group, probably the biggest minority. Yeah, that's fair. Yep. Yeah. Uh, three fourths of the elders, though. That's <laughs> true. I didn't even think yeah, about that. that crazy. Yeah, I know. I'm the only white guy on the elder yeah. board. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. Yep, I know. That's crazy. So uh, yeah, we're very um, we're very hip with a multicultural church. <laughs> But it's kind of cool because, um, you know, so Justin, you were with us uh, when you were in a different part of the world and uh, you came off from that field for some reasons that we won't really go into here, but um, but for good reasons. And so you've learned a lot and that's what I just took away from our previous conversation. A lot of, a lot of wisdom gleaned from your years in a different, can we say that old location? In the Middle East. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. So in the Middle East. So you were, um, you know, joint CIA right. slash <laughs> missionary running ops with, um, so you were, you were instrumental in taking down Osama bin Laden is the way I heard that. <laughs> yeah. Might've yeah. gotten a little garbled on the way over. Yeah. So you were preaching yeah. Monday to Saturday, Sunday to, to Friday, but you took Osama out on a Saturday. Yeah, Phenomenal. Maybe some of our neighbors thought that was going on. It's, yeah. It's well, good cover, bring your whole family oh, yeah. work for the oh. CIA. See, I thought, I thought he went to, I thought he gave the gospel to Osama like, do you accept Jesus now? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I'm sure before before he had to take the shot. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It's, yeah. It's fair. Yes. At least offer him eternal life before. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, but so these are these are the stories that I come up with in my head when I hear <laughs> people are missionaries in the Middle East. It's like, wow, they're like, you know. Uh, obviously, every day driving into work, you had to, in the Middle East, you had to dodge the weapons of mass destruction. And <laughs> there were a few checkpoints, I will yeah. say. That's my favorite thing too with our missionary in Africa. It's like so, like you see lions and stuff, right? Because you know it's that American, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you know, perception of of what where you're at. But either way, you've learned a lot, and so. Uh, but but we're not here to talk about the Middle East. Uh, we are here to talk about uh, you and your wife and going to the Philippines and. Uh, just probably going to ask four questions a day. So if you're listening, um, part one will be Justin just giving us a little bit of his background uh, and Rebecca's background and what's pertinent to the to the mission. Uh, two, where you're going, which we've already said, the Philippines. Uh, but but what's your team's project goal will be number three. And then number four, what specifically is your role uh, with the team? Right. Is that fair? Yeah, sounds right. good. And then anything that comes up, we'll, we'll chime in with more. Because we always do this conversational style, so yeah, 
Yeah. It's hard for us to stay quiet while you talk. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interrupt me. All right. Well, we'll interrupt when we need to. All right. Okay. So background, Justin, tell us about you and your wife and your kids as much as you want to tell on this. Yeah. Yeah. So I was uh, born and raised in Northern California in the foothills of the Sierra in the gold country and uh, grew up in uh, a Bible believing church and by God's grace was saved uh, at a young age. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, went to uh, college and studied uh, computers. I was interested in computers. I worked in a web design company uh, for a little while. Um, and uh, it's interesting, I, I mentioned a little bit with the church uh, last night that uh, I, I didn't want anything to do with uh, the ministry or missions. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I didn't even want to go on a missions trip. There were some opportunities when I was in college and I was like, no thanks, it's not for me. Um, but it's kind of a long story, but just through uh, some experiences in college, I just realized that there were some areas of my life as a believer that I wasn't willing to submit to the Lord. And one of those was, um, you know, the possibility of going overseas into something that was uncomfortable. I just, I didn't, to be honest, I just didn't want to be uncomfortable. It sounds really kind of shallow, but I didn't want to go to a strange place, eat strange food, try to talk a different language. Um, just didn't really have that mindset. And the Lord used some experiences to really challenge that in my heart and brought me to a place where I was like, you know, um, I, my life has been uh, bought with a price. You know, my, I'm not my own. I'm a slave of Christ. And so if he wants me to send me overseas, I'll go. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe that obviously everybody should be a missionary, but um, I think everybody should be open to that as a believer to fulfill the Great Commission by going overseas and and not staying at home. And the thing for me is I wasn't, I wasn't even willing to consider the possibility. It was just out of the question. And I don't think that should be true of, a, of any believer. And so uh, the Lord really was gracious to kind of break me of that. And I came to the point of saying, you know, again, you know, if there's anything I can do, um, I want to, I want to do that and serve the Lord. And so started to kind of look into that. And uh, I should probably back up a little bit and and mention a little bit about uh, Rebecca. She uh, grew up, she was born in Southern California and grew up in Eastern Washington in, in kind of a rural area and similar experience, grew up in the church. Her parents uh, loved the Lord and it was important to them to um, bring up their children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we're just th so thankful for our families. Mm. And um, she, on the other hand, wanted to be a missionary since she was a little girl. Wow. Um, just... Uh, listening to missionaries come to the church and reading, you know, one of her, one of her uh, heroes of the faith is Elizabeth Elliot. Like a lot of people, just uh, her commitment to minister in a hard place, especially, you know, after her first husband was killed and just her testimony, I think has had a big impact on the church and it, it did on Rebecca. And so it was actually interesting when we started to get to know each other and uh, started to become more serious in our relationship. Uh, she was really starting to think, you know, Lord, is this really the right thing? Because I have this real desire to be a missionary, and he wants nothing to do with that. <laughs> and so it was Usually neat. it's the other way around. Usually yeah. it's like, you know, the, 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 the wife would be harder to, to, to come along. Yeah. In your case, it's opposite. Oh, it's just totally opposite. Yeah. And uh, so it was just a really neat part of our, our but, story together. Did she even want to be in ministry at, at all, or...? Rebecca? No, you at all. No, I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want anything to do with that. I wanted to kind of play with computers. I still enjoy computers, and it's a, it's a mm -hmm. good field. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I wanted nothing to do with that. And so she was actually, there was a time where she was praying, you know, God, you know, what's the, the best thing to do here? Where are, you, where are you taking this? So it was neat how the Lord kind of, uh, you know, worked in my heart. And uh, so uh, right after college, we, we got married and we're like, you know, we want to be missionaries. Like I got to the point where I was like, you know, I was challenged by a, a youth pastor actually once who used to be a missionary. And he was like, he, he used to say to us in, in our college group, um, you know, if you're not called to stay, you should go hmm. kind of thing, which I don't know if I would say it exactly like that, but I appreciate how he kind of like flip the narrative on us. It's like, cause we all had the mentality and this was me a hundred percent. It's like, well, I need some kind of additional call to, to be a, to, to serve the Lord overseas. And I think, I do think that is technically true that there's a call to ministry as a pastor. There's a call to ministry as a missionary, but I think my conception of it was, you know, some kind of miraculous call, like, you know, Paul's vision on the way to Damascus or something, which, you know, the Lord works in different people's lives differently. And, um, my experience of the missionary call was more of a like, 
you know, I, I'm willing to go. Like I, I have this desire to help and, and serve people in places that don't have the same theological and biblical resources. They don't have as many strong churches. Like I've been given so much in the U S and in my time in seminary, I want to, I want to give that to other people. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have the opportunity to go overseas. They just don't have the desire. The Lord has something for them here, but, uh, our desire is to go, uh, overseas. And so it's not this kind of like light from heaven or something, but it's how the Lord's worked in our hearts. Well, it's interesting because the, the desire, uh, we all have the desire to make disciples, um, of every nation. Your vision was, uh, how you how you saw that was like um, being able to share what you have learned uh, and being able to influence uh, guys who are in pastoral ministries in other countries that don't have that same training that desperately need it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I remember something um, Paul Washer said once that really stuck with me. He said, "What the way I make decisions in ministry is I look in my hand and see what I have that my brother over here doesn't have, and then I find a way to give him what, what he doesn't have that I have. That's the body of Christ. And mm-hmm. really, I think that's a great way to look at it because, you know, there's just needs everywhere, and sometimes you can feel overwhelmed. Like there was, um, you know, a guy in one of our churches on a— and I can't remember if it was a, yeah, on a missions committee. He was like, well, he heard we were going to the Middle East. He's like, well, why aren't you going to India? They have a lot of needs there. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, but, you know, I can't make decisions based on need because I'll go crazy trying to find all these, you know, who who has it worse. Right. I think you can take into that into an account, but at the same time, it's like, you know, the Lord, I think, puts um, puts things on different people's hearts and, and moves them in different ways. So, yeah, that's fair. Well, and India is like a pain in the rear to, to even get into. Yeah, for an American, it's yeah. it's a non-starter it's right now. This a, was a few years ago, but yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, so after Rebecca and I got married, um, we uh, were looking at different opportunities to go overseas, and just really felt the need to um, be more well equipped to handle God's word. I was at first, I was thinking about maybe I could do more of a supporting role because, I, like I said, I have a background in computers and. There's some mission agencies that support, you know, Bible translators and, you know, set up satellite internet connections in the jungle. And that would be really cool. I'd I'd Mm -hmm. enjoy doing that. But more and more, I just realized, like, no, we should be about, I want to be about the thing that people need the most. They need the gospel. They need the word of God. And, you know, computers are great and they can help people, but it's not going to save people. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we made the decision to go to seminary to be trained, um, might have been a little bit of overkill for to be a missionary. I, I think missionaries should be well equipped. There's a, there's definitely a, kind of a, a an approach these days of more of like casual, like just send people that have a lot of passion to mm-hmm. to serve the Lord and to minister to people. But I think there's a dangerous de-emphasis on being prepared as a missionary, which is something you don't see in the Book of Acts. I mean, who was sent on the first missionary journey? It wasn't just some guy in Antioch. It was two of the the leaders of the church. Mm-hmm. That's how Acts 13 starts out. You know, these were the leaders of the church. Holy Spirit chose two of them. And obviously Paul's mission was was more than just, uh, you know, kind of what we think of missions. Like he has, a, he has a role as an apostle. But I think that idea of that you're well equipped for what you're doing, you know, we, we expect that in the church as a, as a pastor. Um, and I think we should expect the same thing for missionaries, that we're sending people that are well equipped for what they're going to be doing. And so that was what was behind my desire to get trained in seminary. And then after that, we went to the Middle East. So, Very cool. Yeah. Is that is that the first one's background, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting. I, I like what you said, too, about stay comfortable. And, and I don't, you know, I know what you didn't mean by that was that the only solution to disciple-making is to get uncomfortable and go overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause they're, they're definitely like, I know where I grew up, missionaries would come in and they mission, I called it the missionary guilt trip where <laughs> uh-huh. they would guilt you that you're not a missionary and right. you're like, but if everybody's on the field, who's paying for you being uh-huh. on the field? And it, so even that comment that you made a second ago, like is really helpful. Are you called to stay? Or are you called to go? And, and realizing that the body is not everybody's not the eyes, you know? Right. And so 
the way that even churches in the early church worked of the supporting each other and helping each other out financially. And Paul, Hey, I'm coming. I got a gift yeah. for you. It's from these, these churches over here. They're wanting to help you out. And so, uh, to me, that's helpful because it understands, right. You and Rebecca have prayed through it, labored hard, considered what other people have said, um, which is probably important too, right? Cause, oh, yeah. cause had the right people said, Hey, don't go, you guys right. would have not gone. And so now, you know, you're going back out, people laying on hands, affirming your decision to go, affirming that you should be on the field, the things you've learned, you're going to take onto that field, going to make, make you more successful, hopefully, right? Better prepare you. I hate to use the word success in ministry, but probably means you're better equipped and prepared Faithfulness. to, to handle the challenges yeah. that are going to be on the field. Yeah. So, um, but I think that's helpful, right? Because that's, that's our job. Over here, um, everybody's job is to be about making disciples. And so there are people in the trenches that are supported by Mm non-trenchers. And that's our job as non-trenchers is to support those in the trenches. And so just even in that way, um, what, what are things that people can do to help support before you get over there? Is, is it as simple as pray and give, or is it as, and I know missionaries don't like asking for money. So I, <laughs> as the pastor will say, right, I'll, I'll pitch that for you. It, there is financial needs. It is our responsibility to help bear those burdens. But outside of prayer, there are things like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. One, well, and, and to just finish off what you were saying about um, the guilt trip kind of thing, I, I think for me what it was, and I think a, a simple way to put it is I was making decisions based out of fear. Yeah, okay. There's a difference between somebody who says, I have a calling here, like I have a ministry here, I have a role in the body here that God's giving me, and so I'm not going overseas, versus somebody like me who was like, look, I'm not even going to ask that question. You know, I don't want God to send me somewhere that's going to make me uncomfortable because I'd rather just take it easy here. It's a very different kind of approach. But yeah, thank you um, for asking about uh, how people can support missionaries. I think one of the things as far as like before I went to the field that really helped me was uh, actually was the Bible study we were in. We were in a Bible study when I was in seminary with Jason and and Gino and um, just uh, having opportunities to teach, to kind of practice, if, if you could say that on, you know, there was a lot of gracious people that listened to probably some pretty, pretty mediocre, um, you know, teaching time sermon sermons. And uh, that that was a real blessing. And so I think that's one way the church can help out is to just give a, a potential missionary opportunities, because there's definitely two sides. I believe there's two sides to the call to ministry. There's the subjective call, which you see this in scripture, you know, of a man desires, if a man desires to be an overseer, he desires a good thing. So there's a desire that God puts in your heart, and I think you can apply that to missionaries. But there's also what Jason just described. There's an objective outside where people say, yeah, I can see you're gifted in this way, and so we're willing to lay hands on you. Because there's some people that have a lot of passion, and, and it's misdirected. And, you know, They wouldn't be a good fit out there, and hopefully people around them and their leaders can see that. Is it is it fair to ask that they be First Timothy three elder qualified? Hundred percent. Yeah, I I think that's a big thing for me. Even it's more important your character than your teaching ability because um, if you can't learn, you, you ultimately have to relearn how to teach. Because yeah. if you're going to teach, if you are going to a place where you have to relearn the language, so if you right, even in England, it's it's English. Yeah, but you still have to learn. It's a different culture. It is, and their culture thinks differently. And so there, there are kinds of hurdles that, that are a part of that, but character transcends those hurdles, I think. Yeah, no. And I, I agree with you. I, I feel like every missionary that a church sends out, maybe you wouldn't make them an elder, but they should be elder qualified. Agreed. Um, I remember reading this biography of, uh, I had Judson, the missionary to Burma in the 1800s and his son is writing the biography and He's kind of giving you some background and explaining, you know, uh, my dad didn't go to the mission field because um, he couldn't find something to do at home. You know, some people have this mentality that, you know, well, this guy's not really much use here, so maybe he'll do better on the mission field kind of thing. And he's like, no, I think he really makes the case like we should send our best people overseas because, you know, they don't have the support of the local church. They're doing something that is a lot more, there's a lot more pressure on them. So 
and I don't want to make it sound like nobody, you know, you have to be this kind of super Christian to become a missionary. Not that at all. I'm just saying I'm pushing back against this mentality of kind of a recreational approach. I don't know. That's a little harsh, but, uh, well, it's informal, maybe yeah. an informal approach to missions. It is, it is the reality though. Um, as we have talked to other people from, from other circles about missions and, uh, even have, you know, just the longer you go, the more you kind of network and, and you hear people and you talk to people. And there, there are some missionaries that are going out in a very casual, I think that's a good word. You know, very, very casual, almost not even church centered yeah. missions. And so there is a difference here because, um, you know, in your background, it's not just that, that you had a desire and you're going, it's also that, that God shows us that you're qualified through your character which I do. I think you look at the character of First Timothy three and Titus one, and that does transcend. Right? There's not a culture in this world. We we were talking about this the other day that that even thugs need integrity. Mm. You know, like it's funny. Well, like they have their own code. You know that yes, they have their but, own code. Yes, and so it's one of those things that I don't tell a lot of people about. But but I you know I do end up watching more crime documentaries. And so I've seen a lot on like um, even even the drug lords and the cartels. And like you said, they have a code. And if you break the code, then bad things happen. Yeah. Um, and But what's interesting is they're basically asking for integrity. Mm. And Loyalty. so integrity transcends. Um, uh, love transcends. Not being pugnacious transcends. Mm-hmm. Which all of these are very important skills when working with people in another culture. Because... Yeah if you're pugnacious and you're fighting every battle, then you're just the big white American who's coming and trying to Americanize mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. We're, we're right. Because we all, we, no matter what, we all have to fight those cultural stereotypes. I love making fun of um, the way Americans think about other cultures. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite, like, you know, cause you can just hear it like, Oh, you're from Africa. Oh, you probably dodged lions your whole life. And yeah. the reality is, you know, the person probably doesn't even live in a region in Africa where right. there are lions, right. but yeah. So, you know, the, that character does does transcend, though, in a good way. Yeah, yeah the character of humility of just being willing to learn. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's it's like it, it would um, – it, it's wrong for someone to spend uh, all their time exegeting the text, but they're not exegeting the culture. Um, mm. y- you do have to learn the culture, and you have to interpret it, and you have to make it so that you can uh, allow the Scripture to speak to that culture um, so that takes work and patience, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, actually, in that same biography about uh, about Judson, um, he uh, he's sending a letter back to Luther Rice, one of his partners back in America, and, and asking him to help because like, Luther Rice was trying to find more people to send out to join him. And it's this amazing letter where uh, Judson kind of lays out these are the kind of people you should look for, and he really emphasizes we need people who are humble they they want to take the lower place follow the lord jesus they they should be um you know people he, he said that enjoy this is an old phrase that enjoy much closet religion and what he means is like being alone with god and you know that kind of time and he's like one conscious conscientiously uh, obstinate man would ruin us that's mm. how he put it it's a really moving letter and he just emphasizes what you're saying like we need quality people out here he did mention it helps if they have some acumen in the language, though maybe not brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then he, he ends by saying, you know, how far I'm from, I'm, I'm really far from this, but this is the ideal that we want. Mm. So, I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds great because it is interesting, right? No matter what culture you're in, you put a pugnacious person into the equation and it's just problems. You know, you get yeah. somebody that can't work well with others. It's problems. Uh, and if you, again, all of these are stems from pride, right? And that, so here at Cornerstone, we, we talk a lot about pride and humility, truth, preference, wisdom issues. And that's where this comes into play. Because if you go into another culture, assuming that the, the American preferences that are okay, because scripture doesn't speak against them, yeah. and it is okay to have an American culture, right? And is for a Christian, as long as we're not sinning, right? And, and really, I would even say as long as our our cultural preferences are displaying some kind of love and humility, mm-hmm. right? But the, the second you go into another culture and you're not humble and teachable and you try to then bring your preferences to other people, right? That's where the problem always comes. And the, it, it doesn't matter what culture you're in. That never 
ends well. Yeah. Hey, I want you to do like I do because this is the way I like it done. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, I don't, I don't know anybody in a culture that likes that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean, I mean, yeah. the, the divisive person is that person. Yeah. It just unwilling to learn and unwilling to, to work with people. Yeah. I guess you could even, I was even thinking like, I know, I know in some Asian cultures that hierarchy is well respected, but it's a, it's a cultural respect for the hierarchy, but it does not transcend to actually having followers of the mission, mm-hmm. right? It's a, I'm not going to shame my family by going against the hierarchy, mm-hmm. And yet there's a passive aggressiveness in that sometimes because, again, they're not true followers. They're just afraid of the shame more than they're, more than they're afraid of. Yeah. 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 They're, they're led by the fear of men, men yes. versus they actually have convictions about the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, that's not the kind of disciple we're trying to make. We're trying to oh. make disciples of Christ. Um, and so, yeah, the authoritarian person in the hierarchy is, um, is dangerous. Uh, and so... You do have to understand that about culture sometimes, and uh, usually Eastern cultures have that framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also exists here in the states. Yeah. Uh, like authoritarianism is not too far from many pulpits. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, it's, yeah. it's there. It's all, and and in businesses, I mean, that's a lot. A lot of us have worked for managers that that are authoritarian or mm-hmm. fear driven. If you don't do it my way, I'll fire you. And mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, that's. That that's that's man and that yeah. Hey, thanks, Justin. Appreciate yeah. the the background on that. Um, so, are your are your kids excited? Yeah, yeah, our our kids are. That's that's been a blessing. Uh, when we came back from the Middle East, uh, you know, it was just kind of an emotional roller coaster. We didn't expect to leave. We we came back uh, just because of some uh, medical issues with our boys, some allergies uh, that they had that we wanted to get treatment for, and they're they're doing much better now. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it was tough to leave and, um, you know, Rebecca and I were kind of working through all those emotions, you know, what's next, that kind of thing. And we just kind of took some time and it was, you know, the Lord's really used the last few years and to clarify, um, you know, where, where we want to serve and, and what, what desires he's put in our hearts. So that's been a, a blessing, but our kids were ready to go before we were, I think, um, you know, they we have this big map in our house and, uh, one of them, you know. I think it must have been six or eight months after we got back there. Kind of like, well, so where are we going next? Oh, wow. thing. you're raising yes. missionaries. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're pretty small uh, when we came back. So that, I think that helped a lot. But we're, we've been encouraged by their attitude and just uh, trying to shepherd them through all that. It's going to be challenging to leave again, I think, uh, the relationships that they've built here. But, um, uh, you know, it's been a blessing to serve as a family. And uh, we try to find ways to encourage them. Uh, we try to whenever we visit visit churches in the u.s we really try to travel with the whole family even though sometimes it can be a little more challenging mm-hmm. um, right. i think it's it's encouraging for them to kind of see um what it means to the church and how we fit into the body of christ in that way so hmm. yeah they're they were um they said they missed the middle east a little bit but they're also excited to to head out somewhere new so yeah yeah, and, uh, you know, both the families, uh, the other two families on our team that are going to be in Manila, uh, they both have kids, our, our kids' age, so they're excited about that, having, you know, built-in friends already that they've met and stuff while they while those families have been here on furlough and things like that. So. Oh, that's right. Good. Yeah. Yeah, is, um, yeah, they'll probably pick up the language faster than you do. Yeah. Yeah. They've already started a little bit with Rosetta Stone and Tagalog and, um, Audra, my oldest, uh, she, she's able to, um, you know, she'll say things in Tagalog that she's learned. And like, I can tell like she's her, um, uh, intonation sounds a lot closer to what the, the recording sounds like than when we try to do it. Like some of this, <laughs> some of this nasal stuff you yeah. have in, uh, I don't know if that's oh, the right I can term. Teach, I can teach you that. Yeah. You know, I don't I mean? even know how to speak it, but I, I, I know all the little <laughs> like cultural, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, they do. If they're if they're immersed in it, like kids do, pick it up a lot faster for sure. Well, it, it, in the I mean, in the Philippines too, it's it's um it's easy to get more immersed easier because there is a uh, you can communicate with enough English, but at the same time you'll be able to learn and and the letters aren't you know that it's 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 uh, Western letters. So, yeah, uh, Western. Yeah, Africa. we're excited about that. Yeah. Arabic, uh, you know, Arabic's a challenging language, and yep. you know, it's 
maybe not as as hard as people the things that are hard about it are not what you'd think but uh it's more uh like the vocabulary is just really large mm. and you know it's you have two dialects you're usually learning so it's just a lot of vocabulary mm -hmm. the the part about the script being different that actually didn't take me very long oh okay. uh, so that's usually what you see it's really intimidating but it's like if you learn cursive you can figure out arabic so oh, okay. uh, oh. maybe that's oversimplifying it a little bit i mean it looks cursive when i look at arabic it looks like I should say I was exposed to Greek and Hebrew in seminary, and that helped me a lot too. Because Arabic yeah. is a Semitic language, so it has some similarities to Hebrew. Huh. I never thought I'd use my Hebrew in that way, but like their verbal systems, like the same. So I was like, I, I get this. I remember this. Perfect, imperfect. We're ready to go. Wow, nice. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Look, seminary nerddom paid off. There you go. Yeah. Not too it. many loan words though. I thought there'd be more loan words, but yeah, no. not not yeah. too much. House. House was pretty close. Oh, that was it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there was more, but yeah. Oh, there's a lot in Tagalog. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, coming well, from Spanish too, right? Spanish and I think and then if you're in Manila, they um I, I think they anglicize a lot of the Tagalog words or the, the, or the Tagal, they Tagal, they make Tagal, they, they call it Tagalish. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, I've heard they of turn, this. yeah, they turn the English word. They kind of, yeah. But if you go to the provinces, then it's, it's a little bit deeper there. Okay. Yeah. Huh. They don't normally speak English, but Manila is doable. Yeah. Well, so obviously you're going to the Philippines, which was our second point. Yeah. Uh, are you going, which, which bar are you going to? Yeah, so uh, we're going to start out in Manila. That's where our, our team is uh, three families right now, two in Manila and then one down in Davao City in, in the southern island of Mindanao, um, all part of the same ministry. And so we'll be joining the, the couples in uh, in Manila, at least for the first couple of years. Yeah. How, does, is that like a flight up to, to go from the southern island to, the, to Manila? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's yeah. There's separate islands, miles, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, I think Davao is a completely separate island, right? Because yeah. Manila's in the one of the bigger islands, Luzon. Luzon yeah. yeah, and then Davao is a, a smaller island in the south. What's the yeah, landmass on that? It's about the size of Arizona if you added up all of the. Uh, gotcha. Wait, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's about the size of Arizona. But how stretched out is it? It's, I don't know. It's big. Is yeah. it like California stretched out? Well, sure. it's it's hard because so like let's say you're traveling 200 miles, um, uh, maybe less than that. Let's just say 100 miles uh, to to go to my dad's province. It took like 10 hours oh. because of traffic. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, traffic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, yeah. You leave early in the morning, and then you know, just kind of like, oh, you're still you're still on the bus. It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, you could fly crazy. though. That's the cool thing. There's small. There's smaller planes that you could fly. Uh, to get to the other islands, which yeah. is a lot more convenient. But, yeah. Actually, not that much more expensive than the bus ride sometimes. Wow. So, huh. Food for thought there. Just some. I do know it's interesting because in Europe, it's cheaper to fly around Europe. Mm. And it's, some of that's because it's government subsidized. Oh. Mm. And oh. so that's why that's why they, they say, oh, plane flights are so cheap in Europe. But it's, it's subsidies. The, the government yeah. subsidies, yeah. Um, okay. So, and then Guam is, that's where you grew up. I grew up in Guam. Yeah. Yeah. But it's pretty, it's not super close to the Philippines. Uh, it's I mean, like it's closer. Three and a half hours. Oh, okay. By oh, airplane. Wow. Oh, okay. okay. So yeah, if I'm not mistaken, three and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very close. Is the Philippines still an American territory? No. No. You just no. offended, you just offended a bunch of nudge no, <laughs> I think it was back in the forties or something, uh, right? They got their yeah. independence. Yeah, no, there, yeah, there was some. But it was after World War Two. Yeah, it was after World War. Yeah. There was some. I believe there was like some fighting, and um, uh, because the, I think the the locals didn't want the military there. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I know when I was reading about the Ted, when I was reading Teddy Roosevelt's biography, um, we kind of came across the Philippines, and there was a little battle there, mm -hmm. and then they were our providence for a while. But then I think I think after oh, World yeah. War so, II, they were, we were gone. So the the Americans, because um, we were Jap Japan occupied, yes. So the Americans um, uh, kind of took over after Japan for a little bit. I don't know um, 
if it was just a transition period. And I can't remember. There might have been the Americans there before Japanese. So I think they were. Yeah. Uh, so they were there before. Because Guam, so Guam was like Sp- Spaniards and then Americans and then Japanese and then Americans. So it might have been the same with the Philippines, except that they became independent after the mm. after the World War II. Oh. What so. does everybody want with the Philippines? Uh, actually, you know what? There's so much natural resource there. Gotcha. Like, but um, that's just poorly... Unfortunately, poorly managed by a lot of corruption. So, yeah. as with every other, um, you know, country with that kind of potential, just yeah, wrong people get a hold of uh, the power and yeah, huh. so. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, how did the Philippines kind of live in the the upper part? Um, and then, what what is the the teams? What's like uh, maybe I want to talk a couple things. Like one, what's the team specifically doing as a team? And then, two, like kind of your role in the team. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the team's focused on a training center, a pastoral training center called the Expositors Academy, which is a member of a larger group called the Masters Academy International, which is like a, a coalition of different seminaries and training centers all over the world that are just committed to um, uh, teaching people to rightly handle God's word. Um, and... Uh, you know, that's what we were doing in the Middle East was just uh, starting a new training center, the same kind of model of ministry of just, um, you know, we've been poured into in seminary and given uh, so many tools to uh, to preach the word and to, um, you know, been taught uh, strong theology. And so there's a lot of people around the world that just don't have that. They don't have the money to go to seminary. They don't have the opportunity. Maybe there's not a, a Bible-believing seminary in their country. Um, and so there's a lot of desire for this you go in different places and people are like we really want training like you know in some places a guy will be you know serving in the church and they they notice he has maybe an ability to teach and so they hand him a bible one day i'm you know kind of exaggerating a little bit but it's not like, really actually <laughs> that's kind of how it goes yeah you know you're going to be the pet next pastor and it's yep. like okay that's this you know maybe you got a little bit of discipleship from um the previous pastor but you're the guy now and so it you know well you know, people like to think, you know, there's in some places, like I remember a missionary to Russia saying that, you know, people used to, when he got there in a similar kind of ministry, the people used to prepare their sermons on their knees. And what they meant was um, while they were doing the singing before the service, they were flipping through their Bible on their knees trying to find what passage. Oh. <laughs> and there's this mentality in some places like, you know, the Holy Spirit, they kind of take that verse that talks about how the Spirit will give you the words to speak in the moment, mm-hmm. which is actually talking about persecution. Right. And not preparing a sermon. So it's kind of tweaked a little out of its context. And they say, well, you know, we just have the Holy Spirit in the Bible and that's all we need. And I think it's an oversimplification. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that we're committed to um, providing that training to guys that want to go deeper and want to have the tools to handle the word of God accurately. And um, so the Expositors Academy has been there since about 2007. And they have uh, over 500 graduates now and a couple certificate programs, uh, one in biblical studies and one in preaching. And, um, and we're working on a master of ministry. I've actually started working on a, a uh, theology class um, for, for the master of ministry program. And uh, one of the things that's exciting to me about this ministry is the partnership with a, a number of Filipino churches. Um, it's neat to see that, you know, uh, it's not just a bunch of, uh, Americans coming in with an agenda and that kind of thing, but, uh, we really have some strong partners that really see the value of it and then just have a desire for this, uh, ministry. There's a, a church in the, in Mindanao that's, uh, really working closely with the, the training center and, um, the church is, uh, getting ready to do a remodel and expand their property and, the pastor went through the program and it had, it, you know, I think one of his sons went through the program and he's just really excited about it and helps a little bit with teaching. And he's like, you know, we want to build, you know, in this new edition, we want to add some space for classrooms so you guys can teach here at the church. And so that's really encouraging to me just to see the body of Christ from different parts of the world coming together around uh, just unifying over um, the, the clear teaching of God's word. So that's really our focus. Um, my uh, role will be mainly teaching. I have uh, I 
while I was in seminary, I also uh, took a THM, kind of an additional degree that wasn't nece- necessary. <laughs> you could say in <laughs> unless one you way. want pain, yeah, <laughs> a little additional pain and training. suffering. Yeah, so I uh, I majored in in theology, and so I'll I'll be doing a lot of teaching and just kind of sharing the load. Uh, they have uh, right now they have over three hundred and fifty uh, students enrolled. Uh, it's a modular program, so you have a lot of guys in different areas that are in different places in the program. It's not like a semester system. Um, and so they just have a need for more teachers as the ministry's growing and, uh, also be doing some administrative help, just, uh, you know, managing that many people and trying to move to more like kind of some online, um, uh, classroom management software and things like that to, you know, record classes. You know, there's just been such an, a, a resurgence or I guess it's not a resurgence. It's a, <laughs> a new surge in um, online learning and Zoom and that kind of thing. And so we want to take advantage of that um, while also, you know, maintaining that connection uh, with the one-on-one kind of, uh, or, you know, classroom, in-person classroom kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, we're really, really excited about that. And uh, that's really where our heart is to, um, you know, be able to, like I said, give, give these guys a chance to um, get the training that they desire. And so they can, uh, plant churches and, and lead their churches faithfully. And Are there any other um, uh, TM, TMAIs in that area, or is, is it kind of, because uh, I don't know of any. No, I don't think so. There, so that potentially can be a gateway? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, one of the things that's exciting. There is, a, we do have uh, some contacts in, in Myanmar that are doing some uh, uh, pastoral training there, Um but uh, yeah, as far as Southeast Asia, there's uh, there's some other seminaries that seem like they'd be like minded. Um, like I was talking to, um, or I was listening to uh, Sean Ransom, who's the team leader. He was talking about some um, training that's going on in uh, in uh, Malaysia and in Indonesia. Um, that seems like potential partners. But one another aspect that you mentioned is uh, the gateway into Southeast Asia. We really feel like because the Philippines has um, just a, a history of uh, you know a lot of uh, faithful churches that have been there. I mean, obviously it's majority Catholic, so there's a lot of um, evangelism opportunities, and uh, there's a lot of false teaching like we have all over the world um, that needs to be addressed. But it's also because the Philippines is so welcoming and hospitable, just the people are and. Uh, the the visas are easy to get. Um, you know, I think you just show up and you get an automatic 30-day visa. It's cheap to fly from a lot of uh, regions, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia. So we really see it as a gateway to the, the, the region there and an opportunity for guys to come in. We've already had uh, students from a number of different countries in the, in the region that have come there for training. And um, just on top of that, um, you know, as we mentioned, there's there's Filipinos that go all over the world as uh, medical professionals, as as uh, domestic uh, help in different countries. Uh, in in uh, the Middle East, we we ran into Filipinos there, and so um, it's really a strategic uh, way to spread the gospel. Um, as you equip Filipino churches and and people in the pew to have a a clear understanding of the gospel call and a clear understanding of how to evangelize people and disciple people. And then they go out into different places in the world. A lot of those places, it, you know, it might be kind of hard for a, a white guy like me to go um, just geopolitically. Um, but whereas a Filipino person would have uh, much more opportunity to do that. So we really see that as, as having a lot of potential uh, for multiplying um disciples in other countries just by equipping and helping um churches there so. yeah we're everywhere <laughs> <laughs> this is true yep <clears throat> yep you are everywhere and rarely on time there you go yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh it's, it's great well that's encouraging uh well, I'm as, ex- as gandalf said um wizard oh, yes. uh what does he say I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch just it when he means to. Just when he means to. Yeah. 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 See. Yeah. <laughs> never late. We're never late. Just Arrives when precisely he... when he. Means to. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm gonna try that one. I knew he's Filipino. Yeah. 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 Let's see. Uh yeah. He is um, a little tall though. Wait, it's a hat. It's the hat. I can get a hat too. Yeah, <laughs> right. I can get a hat. Yeah. We can do that. You guys got a good start <laughs> on the beard, you know? Like, right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The, um, 
Well, I'm, I'm excited for you guys. It is um, a place that's dear to our heart for obvious reasons. And um, if you go to Cornerstone, you, you kind of understand that. And so uh, a couple other, you know, just in terms of, um, you know, from, from a local perspective, you know, your missionaries are overseas. And again, I know financial is helpful, but paying, yeah, but praying, not paying. <laughs> Sorry, paying and praying. That's a yes. uh, cool slogan missionaries can use. Yeah. Pray and can pay. You, yeah, pray and pay. Yeah, pray and pay. So, um, you know, are there any are there any other things that are helpful for your churches here to, to, to do in supporting you? Or are there any kind of nuances there besides pray and pay and stay, stay try to stay <laughs> updated as much as possible? Or Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing uh, that's encouraging to us is when people reply to our, our prayer letters, you know, as a, as a missionary, you send out a prayer letter periodically and people get to know what's going on in your life. But it's easy to lose touch with, uh, you know, we, we live in such a global culture with the Internet and that kind of thing. But, you know, we were only gone for three years in the Middle East. And when we came back, you know, like y'all gave up soda. Like we came back and people were like, you want LaCroix? And we're like, <laughs> who? Like, oh. you know, when I left, we were all drinking, you know, full, like, you know, <laughs> the full sugar stuff. And yep. now it's the sparkling water. So just subtle things like that. You, yep. you know, and obviously you wouldn't put that in a We went letter. European is what we did. Yeah, something. Yeah. No, when we went to go LaCroix is to, to decide to slum. Yeah. Like yeah. that is the most disgusting. I was using it as a generic term. Yeah, but Maybe that's I the should. worst. Okay, well. Yeah, sorry, Justin. We, we right. are uh, sparkling water snobs in this church. <laughs> I got you. We are, we are coffee connoisseurs. Yeah. LaCroix uh, entry level. Yeah, uh, it's... it's it's not even. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give that to my enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just uh, saying. When we left, we were drinking a lot of soda. When we came back, it was different. Yeah. No, so one. Of, my point in saying that is, you know, it's encouraging us when people reply to our newsletters. Uh, you know, I think people have this mentality. It's like, oh, I don't want to bother them. It's like, yeah. keep but, you updated on what we're drinking. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if you <laughs> should say that, but you know, like, tell us, tell us what's going on in the church, and you know what. Uh, you know, what, how we can pray for you. Like, I mean, if everybody did that, that'd be a little tough because yeah. you send it out to a lot. But believe me, you're not going to yeah. overwhelm us. Okay. I mean, another thing is um, there's been different churches where you can tell that there's a family or two that just really adopts you. Like one of our one of our churches, um, you know, I've gotten to know the pastor a little bit, but there's a family in the church that um, they're the ones that make contact with us. They're the ones that you know, when we come and visit the church, they're like, they, they handle the itinerary for everything. They want, they're like, you come stay with us. And they're the ones that, you know, they actually came and visit us when we were on the field. And, you know, that's maybe a more, um, a more extreme case, but you know, that's a really cool way. Like if you want to minister to a missionary, just kind of reach out to them when, whenever you can and, um, encourage them and just connect with them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, cause I think a lot of people are, you know, they're encouraged, they're happy to, to listen to an update or something like that. But, you know, if it's something that's on your heart, like, you know, try to make a real solid connection with them and be kind of their liaison or their people at the church. And that's kind of a, it's been an encouragement to us in different places. That's that, kind of inter interesting that he says that because that's kind of the trend that we're going. Yeah. Yeah. We have, well, we have liaisons. <laughs> yes. And we wanted to, uh, we, we really want to visit our missionaries, but COVID really kind of. Oh, yeah. Killed this that was project. before COVID. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah, that 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 project because we we wanted to send Gino to uh, to the cops and uh, somebody else, but with COVID, it's kind of been weird and shut down. So, um, Lord willing, we would like to send people out, and um, I think it's helpful. Like we, you know, Justin, every every one of our missionaries has a um, has a liaison, and then about every three to four weeks there is a public update given and then at every elders meeting there's prayer requests given and so that that's kind of a for us it's we try to keep the missionaries front and center in people's lives because we realize that's a responsibility we have and the, the hard part was when you're overseas even with social media right if, if you kind of um if you're not intentional it goes it goes yeah. to the back burner and so there, there's an intentionality that takes work but but love is never love never happens through laziness. And so love yeah. takes work. 
And so that that's what our goal is, is to is to love and support and pray and be there. You know, even if that means, hey, I need you to, to send three guys out. Well, then we'll send three guys out. Yeah. We'll find a way to make it happen. Well, know? and I, I appreciate you saying that, too, because um, I, I think it's really helpful for the church to really try to find out what the needs of the missionary are. Because I think there is, like, take missions trips for an example. You, you know, the, the kind of the traditional missions trip, it's people think of it as a way for people to get exposed to missions and and to have have this experience which is which is definitely a part of it and it's uh um you know a lot of people have become missionaries because of the taste they got on a missions trip but i personally i think it's it's better to have that as maybe a secondary goal and the primary goal is how can we really help this missionary because it's a lot of work on the mission i've never received a whole team but i've you know i've been involved with that um, from this side and just talk to different missionaries and it's a lot of work on the missionary side and if the team's not coming primarily to serve them it's like they oh, just have yeah. to really kind of t- pivot on their their purpose and what they're doing to say okay now i'm in this the mode of serving these people coming from the u.s which is fine are you telling me that you're not going on the missions field to just be a host to sending some youth out there so that they can hopefully have an experience that changes their life. Yeah, this is my, crazy, Justin. Yeah, I'll send kids for a week if you want. It's a little, yes. yeah, yeah, a little yeah. edgy. Yeah, my kids to... would love to have an experience. With yeah. I would love to have two weeks of that experience without them. So yeah, 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 there you this go. all works out well. But no, that's an excellent point. We, we've, I don't think we've actually ever talked about that. But I mean, the, the right, I mean, we've all heard people Oh, I hope, I hope Johnny goes. I hope little Johnny goes because, you know, maybe, maybe the Lord will transform him. On yeah. The straighten field. him out. Oh man. And it's like, no, that's the last person you yeah, want to send yeah. to the missions field. You, you're, you're trying to support and help a, a team of people do ministry. Not, you're not trying to ship your kid off and hope that there's an experience like that's, yeah. you know, no, if good. that's in, and, now, to be fair, though, I don't think anybody listening to this, this podcast has that view. Yeah, yeah, good. But but it is it is a it is a good point because you know if we're going to go overseas, let's go overseas to train. Let's not go overseas to like or or to help. You know what I mean? Let's go yeah. overseas to help. I was thinking of of yeah, how you know. Anyway, we're going overseas to help, not not necessarily to build stuff. Yeah. And I, I think that's the other idea of missions is that, oh, we go to Mexico and build structures. And it's like, you know, maybe we'll just send you the money and let you hire a local. Who yeah. can- <laughs> well, I think it comes back to the local church. Like, you know, the, the local church means needs to be the, uh, the, the prime mover in sending missionaries. And that goes back to what we said earlier about, you know, kind of this more casual approach to missions. Like there's a lot of people, like I have friends that are serving the Lord in other countries and they don't have a sending church. They have, oh, that's weird. They have churches that support them, but they they were the ones that kind of decided to go. Hmm. And they have a lot of passion. They love the Lord. And, you know, I'm sure the Lord is is using that. But I think it's outside of a biblical model of missions, which is the focus on the local church. And, you know, the same thing, If unless you're going to a pioneer situation where you're planning the first church and translating the Bible, you should be connecting with the church on the other side. Yeah. And so... You know, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing with a, a missions trip is, you know, like this is through the local church. What church, uh, that, that that is a good question. Have you guys figured out what church you're connecting with when you get over there yet? Or is that kind of one of those, like we have three or four options and. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So this one's a little, it's a little different because uh, the request for us to come, what came from the team leader from Sean and, you know, his desire to expand the ministry there. Um, so whereas in the Middle East, we were, you know, more connected with a, a local church initially. But as I said, there's a number of partner churches that are excited about the ministry of Taya and they want to see it, it, it succeed. And so we'll be choosing one of those churches. Um, so we'll probably visit a couple of them and just see where see where the best fit for us is. Yep. But, but yeah, that's a that's an important part. I, I should mention that as one of our goals as well. Like we're excited to serve in the local church there yeah. as a family and, uh, you know, so yeah, because you're you you got to basically you're going to become members of a church, right. which means you're going to submit to a local church there as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an important part. Uh, honestly, the the goal of this podcast is to is to get to know you and to have you know kind of a point of reference that we can send people to to learn about you and the mission and the yeah. ministry there. But but it, that is a very important part that um, 
for listeners, when you're contemplating, do I support a missionary or not? If he or she is not, and I use she realizing that some women can go be missionaries and not be pastors and elders. And there's a role for that. I think even grace has one down in Mexico, if I remember correctly. She uh, may yeah. have retired. No, no, she's still there. Actually. She's still there. Okay. Yeah, so. and actually, we have. Uh, uh, she, I should have mentioned her as part of the team as well. We have um, a, a biblical counselor, a yeah. single girl or a single woman. I should say yeah. <laughs> she's younger than me. I can say that. Well, that's well. <laughs> she's there in uh, Manila as well, using her biblical counseling skills yeah. as part of like connected with the team. Yeah. So. Yeah, we knew one in Japan, and she's there helping doing like admin stuff for the church. So yeah, yeah all that to say, right. Yeah, that, yeah. but, but if you're going to send somebody and they're not going to be involved in a local church and submit to that local sh- church, then they're probably not worthy of support. Like, and that's kind of, maybe that's mean the way I said that, but, but to be fair, right. I mean, ask questions at least. Yes. You, know, you yeah. Except for, like you said, you're going into, you know, a place where there's no church, there's no people, maybe an indigenous area where, where you're trying to establish the first one. But outside of that, if you're going, if the person's going to an already established or especially if there are local churches there, uh, it is a fair point to ask, right? That are you submitting? Are you committing? I, I do tend to think that pastors are members of the church first, pastors second. Mm. So I don't, right? I, that's why I'm not a fan of like viewing any kind of ministry role as you come in, you do your job and you leave. No, there, there are membership requirements you know, are you one anothering with people? Do you, are you, you know, are you willing to do the basic things that, that, that the Bible says are part of following Christ? And if you're not, I always say, if you can't be a good layman, then you're not going to be a good leader. And so, right. Because you're ultimately trying to lead people to, Hey, to be disciples, to do the one another's, to be able to share the gospel, to be able to encourage, exhort, convict, you know, um, confront if needed, um, you're asking them to do all those things, but if you yourself can't do those things right. in, in a way that exalts God, then you, then what, what are you doing? Like you, you can't lead people. You, cause you, your leadership at this point is just all theoretical. Hmm. And so you, there's gotta be some kind of like, Hey, th- these are things I've learned. And again, not that you're perfect. I mean, I, I still think every time I confront somebody, you know, the, the, the tough part of pastoral ministry I always walk away going, man, I could have done that a thousand times better. But at the same token, (laughs) you can't wake up and be like, I never confronted anybody because I was afraid of not doing it perfectly. You know, so either way, you got to be a good layman. If you're not a good layman, you're not a good leader. And to me, the best leaders are good laymen at the same time because they're willing to be in the trenches. So yeah, yeah, if you're not willing to be, yeah. So for Cornerstone, that's always a criteria. Is, is there a connection to a local church? And if there's not, there needs to be some logical, oh, you're going to the one tribe in Antarctica and they don't have a local church. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair, right? I mean, so that that's a unique situation. Yeah. All right. Well. Thanks, well, Justin. Any, well, yeah. other, any other comments or cries of outrage? <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. No, thank you guys. And uh, we're just really grateful to have this opportunity to, to reconnect with uh, Cornerstone. And it's been a blessing to see how the, the, the Lord's blessed the church here. And uh, we were talking the other day about, uh, you know, seems like every time we come and visit, you guys are in a different location because you outgrew the last one. So, yeah. Um, or we got God. kicked out because of COVID. Well, that, I guess that was the first <laughs> time for this one. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah. so, By the time we're all said and done, we'll have five different reasons why we moved, six different locations. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one of the blessings of uh, being a missionary is uh, you get to uh, just connect with a lot of faithful churches. Like when uh, we were in the Middle East, we probably had, I think, 12 or 13 churches supporting us. And uh, it seemed like, you know, constantly when we'd visit them, it's like, man, if we weren't going to, if we weren't going overseas, I, I'd kind of want to stay at this church and then we'd go to the next one. So it's been, that's been a blessing because. You know, there's a lot of challenges in pastoral ministry and churches go through a lot, but it's encouraging to see different places, um, you know, where churches are thriving and, you know, life's tough and people are, you know, sin is, is bad and creates uh, problems, but, you know, the Lord's going to build this church. And I think we've got a, had a unique view of that as, as missionaries. And it's true at, uh, at Cornerstone too. So. Mm. Excellent. Well, Thanks, Justin. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Guys.
Yep. Um, well, if there's more questions or comments, then they just need to um, get on your communication list. And, yeah. I'll, and, e- uh, I'll email you. Tell you which uncle to say hi to. Yes. All right. Sounds <laughs> good. Tell me, uncle, I said hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might get a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd just be running around. Can you send this message? To- <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, thanks, Justin. Until next time. All right. Uh, love you guys and have a great day. Mm-hmm.